Welcome to Everybody Hates Me, Let's Talk About Stigma, a podcast hosted by Dr. Carmen Logie. She's a Canada Research Chair in Global Health Equity and Social Justice with Marginalized Populations and an Associate Professor at the University of Toronto's Factor in Wintosh Faculty of Social Work. Every week, the show features amazing speakers from around the world talking about stigma from research, lived experiences, and activism perspectives. Why should we care about stigma? What can we do about it? Thank you for tuning in. Let's start the show. Today, listeners, I am really thrilled and excited to introduce Dr. Alex Abramovich. He is an independent scientist with the Institute for Mental Health Policy Research at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, also known as CAMH. Dr. Alex Bramovich has been addressing the issue of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, and two-spirit, or LGBTQ2S, youth homelessness for the past 10 years. He is an internationally recognized leader in the area of LGBTQ2S youth homelessness, one of few Canadian researchers studying the phenomena of queer and trans youth homelessness. He's also interested in healthcare, homophobia and transphobia, mental health and service needs of marginalized populations, community engagement and film-based methods. Alex, I am so thrilled to welcome you, you here today. Thank you so much, Carmen. It's really, really wonderful to be part of this. And I also just want to shout out to some of your fame because you are doing, you know, I, I described some of your accomplishments, but I think you're on a national council around homelessness. Is that right? Yeah, it's actually the Government of Canada's Poverty Reduction Strategy. So uh, I'm a council member. It's a 10 council member, um, sorry, <laughs> a 10 member council for the Government of Canada on poverty reduction. And uh, yeah, I am one of the members. That's amazing. And Remind me if this is correct. Is it true you once, did you meet Cindy Lauper? <laughs> yes, that is very true. I remember that. And you know, it was funny. I was thinking today, I was like, where did I first meet Alex? And I cannot remember. Do you remember how we met or have we just been in each other's orbits for a while? Yeah, so I was actually thinking the same thing. I was trying to like reflect back and was like, when did we meet? You know, how did we meet? But I feel like I knew about you because you're like, you know, a total rock star. So, oh, you know, I you totally... So <laughs> Not like Cindy Lauper rock star. I would... Cindy Lauper, if you want to be a podcast guest, we're shouting you out. Cindy, big fan. <laughs> no, you're like the, <laughs> like the academic version of uh, Cindy Lauper, right? Oh, that's a big compliment. <laughs> I am so honored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I feel like, that, you know, it's like that. So like, I totally knew about you, I knew about your work, but we had never actually met. And so then I think that we first met, actually, you know what, the first time we met was at the RHO conference. Rainbow Health Ontario. Yes. Oh, where was that? In it Toronto? Was, um, no, no, it there? was out of town. It was in, was it, did you say Sudbury? Yeah. Yeah, it was in Sudbury. What, do you know what year that was? 2014 <laughs> or? Not sure. But it's, I, I think... I don't even know, but somehow we met through the conference universe, not yes. through Cindy Lauper, although we'd really like to have met at one of her concerts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so if, if I'm in an elevator with you and we're going up a couple of flights, 
couple mm -hmm. floors. Uh, I always get those mixed up. And flight or a floor of an elevator or walking up a couple flights of stairs. Mm -hmm. I said, Alex, describe what you do. How do you do it in a one or two sentences? Mm, one or two sentences. Your elevator pitch. My elevator pitch. Well, I guess I would probably say that my, I'm a researcher. My program of research focuses on LGBTQ2S youth and young adult homelessness. And the overarching goal of my work is really to provide practice and policy recommendations to prevent, reduce, and ultimately end LGBTQ youth homelessness across Canada. Amazing. I love the work you do. And I feel like you've been doing this for a long time, more than the 10 years in your bio yes. online. I was like, no, hmm. that, yeah, I was going to say that has to be updated. I've definitely, yeah, I've been doing this for closer to 15 years, actually, in terms of like, yeah, the, the, the research work. But I mean, I have definitely been addressing this issue in many different ways uh, for a very long time and not just through my research but really like through my advocacy and my activism and that's really where it all started you know like I I started off as an activist and just kind of you know showing up at city hall at, at meetings and you know taking uh, signing up to depute and, and that sort of thing and then I sort of became an academic. So I want I want you to this is a perfect segue I want to come to your house your beautiful family, park my time machine outside of your house and say, Alex, come in. We can physical distance in this time machine. Take me back to the time when you said, I want to address LGBT uh, youth homelessness. Where would we go in this time machine? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I feel like it's like so ingrained in so many parts of my life, you know? I remember like even as a kid when I was when I was a lot younger I was you know I've always been really interested in issues regarding homelessness I feel like homelessness is such a uh, visible issue uh, also very invisible but it is a very visible issue especially like as a child for me it was something that I noticed and I noticed it enough to to start asking a lot of questions and wanting to just really understand like why is it that some people don't have a home and others do and I think that's it's, it's hard for a child to wrap their head uh, around something mm -hmm. like that. And so I think that my interest in like really wanting to understand these issues started at a very early age. But then in terms of like the, you know, kind of like the LGBTQ youth homelessness and trans health stuff like that, I, I feel like that came later. And for me, like my, my work is very personal and it, re it really does come from a very personal place. Uh, mm -hmm. especially as a queer trans person, mm -hmm. um, it would be, you know, impossible for it not to be personal, right? And I do think that the fact that it is personal does actually make me a more kind of like reflective uh, researcher. Mm -hmm. And because it's, you know, it's my community, it's it's like really tied to my community and my people, right? And so, yeah, I think, you know, I ha I don't talk about this too much, but like I had a pretty rough coming out experience and things were, were really tough actually when I, the first time I came out, before I came out as trans. And it was really, I think, like through that experience that I just started to ask these questions and like really understand that as an LGBTQ2S identified person, for, you know, for people who identify as queer or trans, homelessness is um, it's really kind of um, connected, actually, the, the issues of homelessness and gender identity, sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of, uh, unfortunately, for a lot of people, especially for young people, 
it's really that coming out experience that leads them into homelessness. So mm. yeah, all that to say that I really like for me, it, it came from a personal place and it came from my own rough uh, really rough experience that I had that that brought me to this work. And it also was like a very difficult period in my life, which ended up, you know, turning into this incredible program of work, like my life's work. I've devoted my life to really understanding these issues and hopefully coming up with some solutions. That's amazing. And it's also amazing that the time machine is actually your life. <laughs> You're like, well, <laughs> this time machine, you have to kind of follow my journey through my personal experiences, my advocacy, and then my research. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. So I guess, you know, you've alluded to this, and I just want you to maybe describe for the listener, what are the links between stigma and discrimination towards LGBTQ people and other outcomes like homelessness? So this is getting at the question of why does stigma and discrimination matter so much? We're in Pride Month right now. Why does it matter, matter for LGBT uh, youth? Mm. And how, what, what role does it play in uh, maybe their, their odds of homelessness? Right. Well, you know, I think stigma matters so much because it does play such a major role, like in the day-to-day -day lives uh, for so many LGBTQ2S individuals, not just youth, obviously. And I think that it's also like ultimately one of the major contributing factors to the disproportionate rates of homelessness. Like there are very high rates of, of LGBTQ youth who experience homelessness. And, uh, and that's because of stigma, actually, right? And um, when I say high rates, I mean like up to 40% of youth experiencing homelessness identify as LGBTQ2S. Wow. That's so almost they, half. That's almost half, right? And that's what we know of. Like a lot of youth don't feel safe. Uh, and this is all because of stigma and discrimination. They may not feel safe coming out and disclosing their identity. And so those rates might actually be higher. And yeah, in terms of why stigma matters, you know, it matters because it plays such a huge role in a person becoming homeless. Uh, it plays such a major role in the mental health issues mm. um, that LGBTQ people experience. So including depression, anxiety, suicidality. And those are issues that we know LGBTQ individuals experience at higher rates compared to like the general population, for example. I, I think stigma matters because it has very serious implications on people's physical and mental health. Mm. Like the consequences are very real and they can actually be extremely devastating, you know? So for example, the mental health implications are severe. They can mm -hmm. have a lasting negative impact on a person's life. They could lead to really significant mental health problems. Like I had just you know, mentioned, substance use, anxiety, um, mm -hmm. depression, suicide. As you know, we know that the, the rates of you know, suicidality are, are very high uh, among LGBTQ individuals, especially for, for young people, especially for young trans people, especially for young trans people of color, right? Mm -hmm. And so it is because of, it is stigma that keeps people on the streets. It is stigma that makes it very difficult for people to exit homelessness, especially LGBTQ people. And when I think about stigma, uh, as we're talking about it, like I feel like stigma is like an infectious disease. Mm, I feel like it is an yeah, it's an infectious <laughs> disease that spreads and it makes some people very ill, and then it actually kills some people. Yeah. Right. Can, and I yeah. I think I mean you've convinced me that it matters with these range of really terrible outcomes that you just mentioned, homelessness, mental health challenges, substance use challenges. Can we go a step 
maybe behind that first question and you can describe to the listener what does it look like so what what happens how does stigma operate in a way that a youth could become homeless and that and then you mentioned something else and that actual stigma plays another role in keeping them being um homeless so yeah. I'm, I'm curious if you could kind of walk us through maybe with the examples obviously anonymous examples or just a yeah. general typical example that you might see in your work and in your research yeah for sure yeah these are such important questions I think, like if I think about the work that I do and if I think about all the young people that I've worked with and, and interviewed and talked to over the years, you know, I would say like really the main pathway into homelessness or LGBTQ youth is identity-based family rejection. Mm. And that means, you know, resulting from a young person coming out as LGBTQ to us. It's just like such a common experience that, that I hear about for a young person, you know, finally building up the courage to come out and to want, you know, to live authentically and then to come out to the people who are supposed to love you the most, who are supposed to be the closest mm. to you, your parents or your family, only to be rejected and to be kicked out of the house or forced to leave home. This is a very real experience and I hear about it all the time. And, and then for a lot of these young people, once they're kicked out or if they're you know, forced to leave home because it's such an unbearable experience to, to stay, many of the young people find themselves in situations where they actually have nowhere to go. And they have nowhere to go because of homophobic and transphobic discrimination and violence. Many of the systems, like people might be like, oh, but we have, you know, we have a whole system in place that is meant to support people. We have, we have programs and housing programs. Mm -hmm. The issue is that many of, the, of these systems that we do have in place that are supposed to actually help all young people, they're often not built or trained appropriately to actually meet the specific needs of everybody, of all youth, right? Especially LGBTQ youth. And even more so for LGBTQ youth who experience multiple stigmas, you know, that are related to racism, transphobia, and homophobia. You know, so for example, I'm just wrapping up a study right now, mm -hmm. which is focused on LGBTQ2S youth homelessness in New York region. And mm -hmm. you're actually a co-investigator. You're co That's a great study. I can't wait to hear yeah. what, what, what did you find? Yeah, so 33 youth were, were interviewed from, you know, across York region, and they, they participated in one-on-one -on -one interviews, and they completed a, you know, a whole set of standardized surveys that were focused on mental health and physical health. And the majority of the youth who, who participated, they were really struggling with depression and anxiety. They were also, you know, really had major issues around problematic alcohol and substance use, and suicidality and self-harm. For many of the youth, they, they once again had nowhere to go. They, they had nowhere to go. They could not find a safe place to, to stay. And that is due to the lack of population-based services in York region, for example. And also, not just because there's not, like when I say population-based services, I'm talking about like services that are specialized, uh, like LGBTQ specialized services, right? Could I plug something? I want to plug you a little bit because I think you haven't mentioned the role you played in Sprout House. Is that what you mean by a, maybe a, a service specifically for LGBTQ youth? Yes, exactly. So for those of the listeners who don't know what Sprout House is, so Sprout, YMCA Sprout House is Canada's first transitional housing program specifically for LGBTQ youth. And what does and transitional housing mean? Transitional housing is like a type, there's like many different types of housing programs for, for example, for people who might be experiencing homelessness and they don't have a safe place to, to call home. 
uh, a lot of people are familiar with like emergency shelter, which is more mm-hmm. of like a crisis kind of crisis response, right? Where you could just sort of like show up and probably get assigned a bed uh, that night if they're not full. And it's really like an emergency sort of response, right? Mm-hmm. And so then the next step would be a transitional housing program, which is uh, a bit different. It's not like you can't just show up at the door and be like, I need a bed. There's, there's like an application process. You know, you have to apply. Usually you get an interview. It's a bit longer. So it's not really meant to be for people who are in that crisis situation. They're a bit further removed from that crisis emergency uh, situation where they need a place to kind of maybe like rebuild their, their life or maybe finish school or try to find a job, that kind of thing. And so that's what Sprout House is. So Sprout House is a 25-bed facility located in Toronto. They opened in January 2016. So I did a lot of work with the City of Toronto and with YMCA Sprout House to really provide them with the evidence that they needed to actually open the service. So I think, you know... Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so that was that was a very very big deal and it still is a big deal. And how is that different? Like what makes Sprout House or uh, LGBTQ tailored service what happens when someone walks in or what is their experience like that tells them that's different than uh, what you said before, just uh, a regular shelter that's mm-hmm. just for anybody? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the difference with a place like Sprout House is that every program it, like within the program is really designed from an LGBTQ lens. So everything that they do and create w- within that housing program is really created with LGBTQ 2S individuals in mind. So they're really kind of structured and built to respond to some of the unique needs that LGBTQ people might experience. Like I mentioned earlier in terms of the higher rates of mental health issues, Mm. uh, the issues with sort of like family conflict and rejection and, you know, also like suicidality. Like there are a lot of these problems that are unique to the population and also the needs of the population. So like, for example, that the program is very much sort of like educated and you know trained to respond to the needs that LGBTQ youth might have. So for example, for a young trans person who's in the program, they might need help with accessing hormones or mm. accessing a place where they might be able to get gender affirming surgery or have their legal name changed or their you know their identification changed. Well, mm-hmm. you know that unfortunately in if for a lot of trans youth in the in the sort of like shelter system housing programs most of the programs, they're not designed in a way where they can, they don't even know how to respond to those needs, mm. let alone even like talk about uh, sort of like any issues that an LGBTQ person might experience. I think that's the issue for a lot of youth where like they don't feel safe because they don't feel like they can safely like disclose their identity because the staff aren't trained in many of the services, right? And like, and this comes out in, in different ways that, that a young person might not feel safe. Like, there are sometimes the, it's like homophobia and transphobia sometimes can be very subtle mm-hmm. and it's almost like beneath the surface and it's not very obvious, but the person experiencing it, they know it, they can feel it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it's very clear to them that the person they're interacting with is not comfortable or is like so uncomfortable that they can't even say certain terms, you know, like I mm. hear about it all the time from youth where there's like, oh my gosh, like my doctor basically is convinced that I'm not actually a lesbian or I'm not gay. Because the doctor maybe said like, oh, well, you know, you don't know for sure that you're gay and like that might change, might just be a phase, like Mm. those kinds of things. Like that's, you know, that's not, Mm. that's not the way that you should speak to someone like, or other times where a youth might say like that the worker basically has to whisper like, oh, gay or lesbian, like they don't, they can't actually say it. They can't even say the words. 
So that's we're right. getting so that, that's... The, the story around yeah. stigma is, it feels like it's very pervasive. So young people might experience it from their families, but then they go to a shelter and then they might experience it from the workers and they go to the doctor and they might experience it from the doctor. So it sort of feels like it's happening in various different spaces that they operate in. That's right. And I think that's like what you asked what stigma, like what it looks like. And I feel like that's really a good way that that's what it looks like. It's like for the, for a lot of the young people I work with, like they try to live their authentic selves. They try to be their authentic selves. Then they're kicked out of the home and then they're out of the home and like, okay, where do I go now? Try to go into the shelter system, try to access some sort of support. And then it becomes very clear to them that it's like, whoa, I can't even be myself here. In fact, it's actually quite dangerous because there's so much violence and, and stigma and discrimination that I actually have to hide who I am and I can't tell anybody how I, who I actually am. I actually have a quote that I want to read because- Amazing. Yeah, I just, I feel like this is so powerful and this is actually from that, the study that uh, you're also involved in, the York I Region study. I can't wait to, to dig into that with you. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, one young person, uh, one interview, like really just stayed with me. Actually, they all stayed with me, but uh, I'm just thinking about one young person in particular. And he spoke about like, feeling more comfortable and at ease telling people at the shelter about his heroin addiction compared to coming out as gay. And I'm going to read you a quote. Wow. From he said, I'm more comfortable telling people about my heroin addiction than I am telling people I'm gay because you don't get the same reactions. One of my close friends actually tried to cut my throat when I told him I was gay. I've been in a few shady situations in my life where I've been stabbed, I've been shot, I've been lit on fire. I've experienced wow. people lashing out, uh, lashing out badly to the point where I'm very careful with who I tell. As much as I'd love to be one of those people who don't care what anybody else thinks, people will beat the shit out of you. Wow, that's a really, I don't know, first sobering and serious example of both the experiences that this person had as well as it, how it impacts their willingness to even accept you know themselves or talk to other people about it yeah absolutely it's like it's just it's just so um yeah it's just really awful like how often i hear about people feeling like you know you can't bring your authentic self to, to programs or to shelters and it's just it's just so difficult if you can't you can just you can't be yourself and so you have to pretend to be someone else and you have to constantly force yourself into like categories that you don't identify with so alex just so we don't leave the listeners on too much of a hopelessness mood. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know what you think some of the solutions are. How can we get families to accept their family members when they come out as being queer or trans or queer and trans? How can we get doctors to not see it as a phase, but just to be open to whatever people's sexualities and genders are? How can we create some solutions? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm glad that you asked that. Uh, I think that's really <laughs> We went important. down to the very yeah. depths of yes, we did <laughs> of the yes. pain. I'm like, okay, yeah, because hope. Yeah. I know you know hope. We need some hope, right? And we do see hope. Yeah. Oh yes, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, the good thing is that there are actually many solutions. There are many solutions to these issues that I'm talking about, and I think some of them are actually very easy to implement. And some of them actually take a bit more time and, you know, more money, more resources. But I, I think, like, basically, um, it really involves, like, we need to make sure that spaces and services 
and programs that are meant to support youth, that they actually support youth, that they support all youth. Like if you're, if you operate a service, you know, if you have a program, you need to, you need to do the work to ensure that that program is there to support everyone and is regardless of how they identify, regardless of their gender identity or sexual orientation. And for the, for the programs that don't do that, then they need to be held accountable if they mm -hmm. fail to do so, right? So and could that look like not assuming that somebody's gender is one thing and asking them gender and pronouns or does mm -hmm. include asking people their sexual orientation rather than defaulting to, oh, everybody is straight. Is that like an example? Yeah, or example, I'm thinking about, you know, like the language that we use, the questions that we ask, those things really matter. Mm -hmm. And I think like, like, you know, for researchers, for programs from like a research perspective, well, these kinds of like the questions that we ask, they actually help us collect important data that we use, right, to, to sort of understand issues and solve problems. But they, but the questions that we ask, they also help people feel welcome and safe, or they can actually do quite the opposite. And so mm -hmm. for a lot of these programs, they have questionnaires or they have, sorry, they have like intake forms. Uh, you go to the doctor, there's always like an intake form. So the forms, the questions that we ask to identify the people who attend the services and come to the programs, that it's very important that we have to make sure that, that like people see themselves reflected in the questions and in the response options. Like I can't stress enough how important it is. Like if you're going to ask people, if you know, oftentimes there's a question that says gender or it says sex, and then it'll just say male, female. Sometimes it'll say other. Nobody wants to be other. Nobody wants to check off that other box. So the, 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 the thing is that you need to provide options. You need to make sure that people's identities are reflected in, in the responses. Mm -hmm. Like that, that's what it is. is that, and I think some, sometimes people say like, oh, why don't I just leave it? I could just leave it blank and people can just put in however they identify. Well, I, I argue that that's actually not, I don't think that's good enough because mm -hmm. the thing is that people need to see themselves. They have to mm -hmm. see themselves reflected in order to feel safe enough to come out. And I think yeah. if you want people to answer honestly, then you need to do the work to make sure that you've that you're that you're sort of covering all you know people's identities. And please don't use the term other. Like I can't, you know. Yeah, like, I mean, part of it's very interesting because this is a theme that has come up in various of these podcasts is about representation. So seeing whether it's on a form or it's the staff that a place hires or the questions people ask when you walk in or the pictures of on the walls yes the you know people don't really use dvds anymore the music you know just yeah. there's so much and that that exists that has an opportunity to represent various perspectives and voices i think in, in identities of course so i think i think that's really important what about the smaller things you said? Because I mean, I think what you just said is amazing. And for those who are have the power to be able to change the decor and the hiring practices in the in the policies and the forms, what else do you suggest for somebody listening to this while they're doing the dishes or I don't know, I'm trying to think when I listen to podcasts, when I'm working out or when I'm walking yeah, but, yeah. or waiting for the bus. <laughs> what else could somebody do just on a day-to-day -day basis? I mean, oh, well, on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, I think, you know, luckily, like today, now, like there's so many great educational tools and resources available online. And uh, I'd be happy to even pr provide some to provide some great. links. Uh, but, you know, I think that it's, it's we have to do the work to educate ourselves. And so there are some mm -hmm. very... Uh, like even like this podcast, right? This podcast series, like th these are the things that we can do to just sort of like to, to learn more about certain issues so that we then understand better the next time that we interact with people 
you know, like, okay, like maybe I shouldn't be whispering the term uh, lesbian or gay and like just <laughs> becoming more comfortable with, with, mm. with saying certain terms and, and uh, you know, using certain language. And I, and I think education is a big part of it. And there are so many great educational videos available online. And I think that that's something very simple that everybody can do, regardless of if you're, if you're a researcher or if you run a program or, or whatever it is that you do, right? I, I think that all of us can do that. And, I, and that's like a really easy thing for us to do is to just educate ourselves and to, to, um, to become more informed. Something else I wanted to mention, like this is more to do with like spaces and like mm-hmm. the, the physical space of a, like a program or, or wherever it might be. Like if you're going to be, like if you're working with youth, for example, and you have a, a space where the young people come, like if you have a program, it, it's, it, and it's not just for young people, it's just like in general. I think it's really important to make sure that our washrooms are accessible and mm. um, inclusive. And so many programs will have like a single stall bathroom, but it'll say male or female on, on the bathroom door. And it's like, it's not somebody, it's very easy to actually transform your washroom into like a gender inclusive, all gender washroom. All you have to do is like literally write on a piece of paper, all gender or gender inclusive mm-hmm. and just cover the gendered sign. Like that, that's the thing is that I, I think that if a lot of people don't understand, like when we talk about stigma, like, you know, if somebody comes into a program and they need to use the washroom, like if a person doesn't feel safe using a washroom, like that's, that's a really big issue. That's a very, very serious problem. And I think that, and you know, like the solution is really quite simple. So, and, yeah. and I think I'm so glad you raised that because it's something that we've talked about on on these podcasts before, which is just how ridiculous it is that this is still an issue in so many countries, including Canada, across the world, probably in every country, is that trans people or um, gender nonconforming folks or gender diverse folks have so much stress going to the bathroom. It's, it's yeah. you know, of course it's much bigger than that as well, but mm-hmm. this is, is also something we all need to do. And it's a as an aspect of just living on this earth is, is being able to take care of our basic needs when it comes to our, our bodies and our health and eating and going to the bathroom are just very, very basic things that we need to do as part of living on this planet. And to add that extra stress when there's such a simple solution, you know, we're talking one of the podcasts, I was saying, if, if all the bathrooms are just like gay bars, you just go anywhere, everyone's in the same yeah. bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> There's like no even like, everybody just goes to the, the same bathroom. It's not a big deal, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. It's just like, we're talking about some things that are just so basic, like everyday, sort of like day-to-day, very, very basic things that are actually like so serious and can be very violent spaces for, mm-hmm. especially for, for trans and gender expansive folks. And, and, the, the, and because of that, for a lot of trans people, they will end up not, you know, stuck at home or not able to leave the space where they're staying and not able to access the support that they need. And that's why stigma, like that's why this is so important because Mm -hmm. it literally kills people. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we we need to do the work to to make sure that our spaces are safe and inclusive um, so that people are able to access them and get the help that they need. Thank you so much. You are so brilliant. And I also love that one of your points was, it's on us to educate ourselves. And I really believe that. I think that there's so many resources out there and we're gonna have some links for the listeners. And there's this podcast and many other podcasts. There's things to watch. So we can really start to develop knowledge and comfort and about different terminologies, different genders, different identities, different relationships. And there's, 
there's a lot of, of it on us to educate ourselves. So if we want to learn about cooking something, we can't expect just to stop some random person on the street who we know cooks and say, can you tell me exactly about this? I know it's kind of a bad analogy, but just like, we're just randomly, oh, I, do you ever cook waffles? Can you really just tell yeah. me the whole thing? And they're like, yeah. why don't you just Google that? Like, why didn't you go yeah. read a cookbook? <laughs> There's That's so right. many where it's not like stigmas like cooking, but right. I like how you said it's like an infectious disease. There's ways to get a vaccination. There's preventative That's right. measures. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> uh, I know we're uh, nearing the end of our time and I have a few wildcard questions for you, but is there any last thought you want to, you know, before we, we move away from this stigma towards the fun getting to know the real Alex questions? Any last <laughs> stigma you want to share? No, just that, you know, I'm just really grateful for you, Carmen, and like for, for the work that you do, which I, you know, ha- have been very inspired by for a long time. And it's just, yeah, I'm really thankful that you invited me to be, you know, part of this and uh-huh. that you're actually doing this because it's, these are the kinds of things that uh, actually help create safer spaces. Thank you so much. You are so wonderful. And I love working with you and hopefully post-COVID hanging out more in person. Yeah, that's right. So now we're going to the really fun part. Although, of course, all of it is fun. But the really fun part, the wild card questions. So number one, what are you binging on Netflix right now? Oh, Huh. Well, actually, that's, yeah, I don't know why. I'm just like, oh, wow. Because I'm just like, oh, my God, I haven't been watching anything. You're like, I'm like, oh, good. You're very <laughs> unique. Okay, you don't have to have an answer. Or is no, there no. a great movie you've just watched? Or I, no, I do. I, I have actually, so it hasn't been Netflix, but I've, like, totally been, like, really addicted to YouTube lately. I feel oh. like, I know, it's so weird. I feel like there's, like, amazing shows on YouTube. and there's, really? like yeah, and I find it actually very relaxing finding, um, like, I really love watching, sa- like, sailing, sailing videos. Oh, and wow. And just, like, random people, like, sailing around the world and stuff. And so there's, like, this really cool show that I've been watching about this, like, this couple. They bought this old, uh, tiny little sailboat, and they're, like, just sailing around the world. Oh, and, my God, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, so I really enjoy it. I love the ocean. I love the water. So that sounds... Sounds great. I might actually, actually uh, ask you to send me the link to that because that's yeah. fantastic. Okay, the second question. You can go anywhere in the world right now. Imagine there's no COVID or it's, there's vaccines and we can all travel again. Go anywhere in the world to have dinner with anybody, living or dead. Who would you meet and where would you take them? Wow. Oh, that's a really, oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess I need to just say, uh, you know, I'm just going to say the first thing. Uh, usually I would like want some time to think about this, but I'm just going to go with the first person. Card. In There's, place. No, There's no time to think about the wild cards. You got to go with your gut. You got with your gut. Okay, so the first place that I thought of was Iceland. Mm. And the first person I thought of was my grandmother, actually, who is n- not alive. And um, she was a very important person in my life. And like I'm half Finnish, and so oh. she she lived in Finland, and I love yeah. Finland. Finland yeah, is so it's, cool. It's a really cool like, place. It's so stylish. The whole vibe of the cafes, and I just love Finland. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So she is the the person that because you know I was quite young when she passed away, so she doesn't know. She never knew the person who I am today. So I just would, and she was such a wise, wise person. So. I, I feel like she is the person that I would love to meet with right now. And why ice? I mean, I love Iceland. I've been there <laughs> twice. I love it. Is there a specific 
Would it be Reykjavik? Would it be the Blue Lagoon? And, and the why Blue Iceland? Lagoon. You know what? I, I think it's, <laughs> I'm like, I'm so craving like just some relaxation right now. And I'm just like, the, just the thought of like being in like warm, like nice, like spa waters or something. That's why that's like, it's always been a dream to go to Iceland. So that's, I guess that's why it's the first place. You haven't been there yet? No, I've never been there. Oh, okay. So listeners, for those of you who uh, drink alcohol, the Blue Lagoon has a bar in the middle of it. <laughs> so oh, wow. You could actually be in the Blue Lagoon with sparkling wine. Just wow, that's, imagine that. Sounds really awesome. nice. And there's also obviously non-alcoholic beverages too, but after a long flight, it's pretty nice. I, I love the Blue Lagoon. <laughs> and there's other spas. And yeah, I really, I really liked Iceland too. It's really... Mm. We went um, snorkeling where the tectonic plates meet between, I don't know, two different parts of the earth. It was really cool. It was quite chilly, but it was awesome. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, okay. So the last question is, is there any piece of advice or wisdom or quotation that has meant a lot to you or provided some wisdom that you'd like to share with the listeners? Hmm, I feel like I've definitely been given quite a bit of like meaningful advice uh, over the years, but uh, it's very hard for me to right now like think of it because my 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 short term memory, and, you know, it's like so short my memory. You know, also the first thing that I'm just the first thing that came to my mind actually was right. when I when I uh, first came out as trans, I uh, was really struggling, just like so many other people, right? And uh, it wasn't an easy time because I had just I was at the beginning of my PhD. And, you know, it was, it was pretty scary. I feel like during that time, like it wasn't really, there wasn't as much trans awareness as there is right now. So, I mean, the world was a pretty scary place for, for me as like a newly out trans person and especially in academia, like being mm. in academia was, it was terrifying. It just didn't, mm. it, it was not a safe space. It really, it just did not feel that way at all. And so I, I felt really, you know, I was really struggling and it was tough because I am very passionate about you know the work that I do, and I'm very passionate about these issues. So it wasn't something that I was willing to put on hold or to give up in any way. So I knew that I had to just find a way to just kind of push through and continue the you know continue my classes and continue showing up at, at school. Like I really didn't have any other options at that time. Yeah, I guess like somebody just sort of told me to when I you know somebody was like when you're in a situation when you, where you're just feeling so overwhelmed or you're just kind of don't, you're not feeling very safe or, or whatever it might be that's going on, you know, in your mind, but to just, to just really concentrate on my feet mm. and to just feel my feet hit the ground and to just <laughs> focus on that feeling of your feet meeting the ground and that that will actually ground you and it'll help yes. you just get grounded. And I can't tell you how helpful that has been. Like during that time, I, it really helped me. And even till today, like, I feel like when I feel overwhelmed, I just try really hard to focus on my feet hitting the ground, and it actually really is very grounding. I've, I think I've read that that is part of some practices for people to manage strong emotions and stress and anxiety is focus on, on your feet walking. You know, and I know part of meditations are also focus on different body parts, focus on your 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 hands, focus on your arms, you know, just focus on feeling your body. But the fact that the earth, the earth is so, it's very literally grounding. And there's something that you said about just being present in the moment too. That's great advice. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you were looking for more like intellectual um, advice, but that <laughs> I'm not looking for that. anything specific. Everybody has a different piece of advice. And I think it's awesome. 
like I feel like part of <clears throat> the reason I like doing this podcast, even though every week has something to do with stigma, even if people talk about LGBT stigma every single week, they enter the conversation from a totally different position and from a different vantage point that is a position that I don't see and that nobody else sees in the same way that they see it. So yeah. that's why I think that there could be years of these episodes if people are interested in it, just because everybody brings a different, unique perspective. So I, I, I'm looking for anything. So that's great. That's, I like that. And also it's a very practical, I feel like a lot of what you do is related to, to the ways that we can act yes. in practice, which is awesome. So thank you. Thanks so much for coming on today. You are amazing, Dr. Alex Abramovich. What a wonderful guest. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much, Carmen. And I'll be putting a link up and I'll ask, actually ask you to share some of those resources because yes. this is part of our Pride podcast special. So some people might be looking for resources or appreciate those resources when they're, they're looking through the Pride podcast series. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll be happy to send you some resources for sure. So thank you so much. Looking forward to connecting with you outside of the podcast. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for listening to Everybody Hates Me. Let's Talk About Stigma, a podcast hosted by Dr. Carmen Logie. Join us next week for more inspiring and motivating conversations with stigma leaders from around the world. If you want to listen, what I have to tell you.